Father, we thank you for your word and we ask for clarity and understanding, Lord. We need you. We need you during this study. We need you to capture our minds and hearts. We need you to humble us. We need you to help us walk down the road that includes suffering for the kingdom. Lord, we need you to help us understand what it means to live by a kingdom ethic where we win by losing. We ask for your help today to not only humble ourselves, but also to think of others as more important than ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would help us put to death those things that so easily entangle us so that we might run the race set before us. Father, we pray today that you would, if there are some here that are on the road to destruction, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who have no true hope in this life for the one to come, who will spend eternity in hell, we ask that you would turn their hearts to believe. They would treasure what is true and right and good. That you, by your Spirit, would awaken them to those realities that we are studying today. In Christ's name, amen. So humility is the road that Jesus traveled. It is the way of the kingdom. It is the way that we are to live our lives. We are to walk after our Savior, to follow Him. Our natural bent is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and to think less of others. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who lived eternally in the heavens, uh, always worshipped and adored and, and lifted up and honored as He ought to have been, left heaven and came to earth. And He died on a cross. And He was raised victorious over death and, and sin and all of those things. But we just have to know that, that He did come and He entered this place. We are to follow that same ethic in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. At the heart of this, like this morning, as we're looking at it together, Jesus calls His disciples to put God and others first by trusting in His purposeful humiliation. Think about that real quick. We've got to get to that place where we trust in His purposeful humiliation. We become servants ourselves. We pursue that road of service. We value others' contribution, which is another thing of a sign of being a servant. And we pursue radical obedience. Those are the things I think you see in this text and we'll see together as we move forward. Look at verse 30. We, first, they have to embody or embrace what Jesus says they went on from there and passing through Galilee and it says and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will rise 
But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. This is the second time in Mark that he's talked about what's going to happen to him. He is on the way to the cross. He reiterates that, and he knows that that is the case. These, there will be wicked men that kill him. But I think it's important for you to know that Acts 2.23 says, And Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. And so it was the eternal plan of God. It's executed flawlessly. And yet there are these men who are involved in this work. And they are doing exactly what they desire to do in their plans. But that plan fits perfectly within God's decree. His perfect, eternal plan. So it's hard for us sometimes to understand that fully, but we have to understand it because Jesus is explaining what's about to happen because it's been the purpose from before the foundation of the world that he would die. And they just could not understand. It wasn't like, oh no, Adam and Eve sinned, now we've got to come up with a plan. It's always been the plan. And this plan was executed flawlessly. So Jesus calls his disciples to put God and others first by trusting in the plan, the purpose of humiliation. Secondly, by becoming servants themselves. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Have you ever done that? Sit around with people, who's the greatest fisherman? I'm the greatest fisherman. Who's the greatest this? When your kids maybe growing up, I'm the best shot. That would be something we would, maybe something like that. Or, yeah, you get on a basketball court or playing baseball or whatever, and you're constantly competing with one another. Constantly thinking about who's the best. In our world, the, the thing is the goat. Greatest of all time. Who is that? Well, some of you may think of yourself as the greatest of all time in every endeavor you've ever pursued. Or at least that's what you say. A lot of times big braggers are people that are trying to kind of push themselves up in a way. Most of the time it doesn't work real well with having great friends when you're so high and mighty. And you're the greatest of all time, at least in your own mind. Jesus says that's not the road that we're on, but that's what they were arguing about. Maybe they said, I'm a better orator than you, a speaker, a communicator. Maybe one said, I'm a better demon fighter. Maybe another says, like, well, I'm closer to Jesus than you. I'll be greater in the kingdom. My devotional life is better than yours. These disciples don't understand what they are doing. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not the road you're on. You know, when you think about the GOAT, you might say, some people would say in college football, Nick Saban is the greatest of all time. If you think about QBs professionally, Tom Brady, basketball, Michael Jordan, you just have this long list. Or if you're Muhammad Ali, you say you're the greatest, Right? This is not different in the first century. It's like it's not different today. It's the same thing. 
People struggle with these things. Verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must first be last of all and servant of all. This is interesting. This is backwards. You think about if you were working with the king, closest person to the king, finest meals, the best things at your disposal, uh, you, you would have servants gathering around, banquets. I mean, people close to the king got all the privileges. And this is exactly opposite of what it's like in Jesus' kingdom. That's why Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. The reality is in our world, sometimes you are skilled at something. You might be a master plumber. So you probably have people working under you. Or a master electrician. Or whatever it might be. A physician. And you're going to have people, listen, you might be a leader of sorts. And there are going to be people working under you. But the spirit of discipleship, of following Jesus, should be in you. Should be the regular for you. Jesus grabs a child in verse 36 and 37 and he says, he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. When you think about a child, you usually would think, Oh, it's so adorable, but that's not how it was there. Uh, a child up until the age of five, oftentimes they didn't make it that long. Children were not like almost idolized like they are in our world. It wasn't that way. To condescend down to a child was kind of like you were going down into the place of a servant. It would be the place where servants were. Christians even were known for rescuing children that had just been dropped off for somebody to take. True servanthood reveals something here. It is serving the least of these. So Jesus calls his disciples to put God and others first by trusting in his purpose of humiliation, by becoming servants, and then by valuing others. I was thinking this morning, I saw an article where somebody passed away that had been leading this ministry. And I, my first thought was like, is that ministry a good ministry? And of course you can look it up. And there's always going to be things that people say negatively. And then you have to kind of, you're weighing in. Is that, is that a good one? Is it a bad one? Verse 38 and 39 and 40. What you see is after he's just told them this. John says, teacher, we saw a man that's casting out demons in your name. He wouldn't follow us, so we want him to be quiet. Jesus says, don't stop him. Why would you stop him? Why would you stop him from doing works in my name? Mighty works in my name. He's not against us, he's for us. Why, why would you stop him? Maybe you've struggled with this. You might have said, yeah, I'm sure this guy was a Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal. He don't fit in my camp, whatever it would be, you know. And the reality is they were struggling with that because they were in their minds first and not last. So if anything was going to happen, they would need to stamp, you know, give the stamp of approval. And this person wasn't listening. They might have thought in their minds like, we're the chosen ones. Why, why would we not be the most important? Jesus says he's on our team. He's one of the good guys. 
leave him alone. In fact, maybe you ought to encourage him. Then he goes on in verse 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. They don't understand that this guy, that he was doing the same things as they were. How are they going to deal with somebody who's totally insignificant, like passing out water? I mean, how important is that? That would be kind of their attitude. But that's not the attitude here. The attitude here would be, Jesus says this guy will certainly get his reward. It's a powerful reminder of our roles as in the kingdom is not thinking about, oh, I'm greater or lesser or any of those things. But I'm doing the work that God has called me to do. He's given us work to do corporately. And all people that are doing the work of the Lord are not doing that in vain. He sees the work that they're doing. He's given them the work to do. Celebrate that. Be thankful for that. So Jesus calls His disciples to put God and others first by understanding His purpose, by becoming servants themselves, by valuing others' contributions, what other people are doing in the name of Christ, and by pursuing radical obedience. For the sake of others and for their own souls. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's a shocking reality. If you cause one of these, my little children, my people, trouble. If you do something that would hurt them, it would be better for you to be cast into the sea. It's interesting, a millstone was something like a giant stone that only animals could pull round and round to crush the, the grain. In this case, you see, they're, they're basically, I mean, if somebody were to toss in, like, it would be crazy. I mean, the only person in the Bible that ever dealt with a millstone that would, like, work with it would be Samson, and he did. But I think it's just important to understand that. What are the things that cause people to stumble? Could you think of any? <clears throat> False teaching could. Dissension, like talking trash about other people, that could cause somebody to stumble. Immoral living, you know, like falling from serving the Lord because you've done something immoral and others were looking up to you. Titus chapter 1 speaks of this. In Titus 1, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. They need to be silenced because they're lazy, evil be uh, beasts, and lazy gluttons, Titus says. These people are rebellious people. He's saying, don't be one of those. What about in colleges and Places where they're supposed to be places of higher learning with the Christian name stamped on them and they're not teaching what is true. They are not teaching the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's a frightening place to be. There's a danger there. And look at this individualistic kind of move. He shifts over 
which I think is just to kind of remind us of some of the things that you could do that would not only hinder your own soul, but the souls of others. Verse 43 through 47. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. That's, those are, do you all think those are hard statements? I mean, that, that's shocking that you or I could think of ourselves as like serving Christ and yet go to hell. There are people who say that they know Jesus and spoken in His name and they do not know Him. They are not serving Him. If you're members, these are like, you think about those like hand, foot, eyes. How many people want to lose one of those? How would that affect your life here in this world? How would it make you struggle to get through this world? He's saying it would be better to be radical in your commitment to put off your sin than to hold on to it. He's using hyperbole. There was a seminary student I heard a guy speak about that actually cut one of his hands off because he thought that's what he needed to do. But it's hyperbolic. He's saying like, deal radically with your sin. It is better to go into the world to come not whole than be damned. That's the picture here. Whatever you consider most precious to you. Whether it's like Gollum with the ring and Lord of the Rings. You want to get rid of it. It would be better for you like Frodo to lose a finger than to go into the fires of Mount Doom. That's the idea. If you had a great mind, great abilities, all kinds of things that could like somehow hinder you, it would be better to do that. The metaphor of eyes, hands, and feet are all inclusive of what we view, what we do, and where we go. You want to fight against those things. You may know those enemies in your own heart. You want to kill those or they will kill you. You don't want to go into the world to come whole in this life and not prepared for the one to come. Even if you're doing something good and you put it above God, you need to get it out of your life. There are two roads, one that leads to eternal life and one to eternal damnation. And you don't want the road to death. You don't want to die in your sins. You want hope everlasting. And the reality is, if you don't think that there is a hell, the Scripture says that there is a time when there will be a resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment. People will either be eternally damned or eternally with the Lord you will eternally end up in one place or another.
Some people might say, well, is it the lake of fire? I mean, is that what we're dealing with? Are we dealing with a, a real, true lake of fire? You know, a lot of times in the Scriptures, the images are not more horrible than the thing to follow. Whatever that is, whether it's a symbol, what follows is greater. Nobody, I don't think, ever has PTSD from watching a Ken Burns film about the war. It's those who lived it. And so those who come to this world and think about hell and do not consider it, it's going to be worse than what can be described in words. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be there 10,000 years from now. You want to put your hope and trust in the Lord and lay aside anything that is not trusting in Him. Verse 48, it says, Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This word hell, has the, it's the word Gehenna. It speaks of a, a place where they, at one time, they had sacrifices there. And when they got straight, Israel got straight, through one of their kings, they stopped doing that. They stopped sacrificing. And they turned it into a garbage dump. And it was a place where the fire never stopped. And the worms were always eating away at carcasses. What a scary thing. It's an eternal place of damnation. So this is not like a light sermon because it's not a light subject. It's something you must consider. Verse 49 and 50 says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its tastiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You know, salt was savory. It was a preservative. But the idea here is once the salt has been used, it does not become salty again. So live, live your life salty. Stay salty. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Remain good and useful throughout your whole life, regardless of age. Keep pursuing Christ to the end. Run the race. Finish it. Be more careful focusing on your inner person than your outer person. Work on that. It would be better to be imperfect in this life physically than eternally damned spiritually. So pursue the right things. Cultivate what is good. Think about others. Think about your children. Think about those who are watching you. Think about your friends. Think about those who you're a part of uh, this church with. Put them first. Think about them. Consider them. May your life be built on the Lord Jesus. May you follow His footsteps. May you walk in His ways. May you trust Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're in Christ, you've been saved from the penalty, power, and presence of sin one day. In this life, we have to say, I'm the strength that God provides. I want to stand. I want to walk. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. You don't want to be like Saul who trusted in his armor, but instead like David trusting in God's armor. And you want to put it on every day. And you want your children to see you do it. And you want little brothers and sisters to see that. 
And you want to live in such a way where they say Jesus is the only way. He is our hope in this life and the one to come. He is whom we serve. Jesus calls His disciples to put God and others first by trusting in His purpose of humiliation. By becoming servants. By valuing others' contributions. By pursuing radical obedience. That's what He wants for us. That's what He's calling you to. That's what we need to embrace and treasure. We don't want anyone here to die in their sins. We don't want anyone here to go to hell. We want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and live for Him. We want you to put your hope in Him and nothing less. Don't run from Him. Turn to Him. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon uh, on you and, and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Put off the things that will destroy you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the desire or should be the desire of your heart. Stop thinking of yourself. Start thinking about Him and others. That's what we hope for. That's what we live for. In Christ alone is our trust, our hope found. All other ground is, 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 is not it's sinking sand, Scripture says, but I mean, or the song says. But I, I just I want you to understand that this morning, you want to put your life in Him. You want to live for Him. You want to put aside anything else that would hinder you. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need your help today. We need to stand against those things that hinder us. We need to walk in a way that be pleasing to you. We want to value what you value. We want to see our Savior going to the cross and know if we are to follow him. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. We want to value others, their contribution, what You have for them, O oh Lord. We want to understand and savor and embrace the wonderful truth that You have called people out of darkness into light and they are so being used by You and we want to celebrate that. Lord, we want to Put aside anything that hinders us. There are some here today that maybe there's a sin before they come to the Lord's Supper that they need to confess and run away from. Maybe some here this morning that are thinking about other people's sins. And they need to run away from those things. Turn away and walk in obedience. We pray, Lord, that You would help us in this great endeavor Pray, Lord, if there is a lost person here today, that they would be found in Christ leaving here, trusting in His work alone. In Jesus' name, amen.